0: LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.
1: This episode contains sexual references, strong language,
2: and comical justifications for marrying multiple teenagers. Enjoy.
3: I remember the leader calling upon Jesus and the host of heaven to come down and meet us. And I remember looking up toward the ceiling through my veil. I thought the ceiling was just going to part and the bright light was going to come in. And I would see these personages floating down into the room and hover above us. I'd spent my whole life thinking about it, spent seven years preparing for it. I was willing to become a polygamist to actually see Christ in the flesh.
2: Hi, I'm Liz Ayakuzi,
1: And I'm Tyler Miesum,
2: And this is Was I, was in, a I cult? in a Cult? What? Oh, you... So we were saying it together?
1: <laughs> yeah, I figured we, <laughs> we... don't
2: have to do everything together.
1: I just wanted to say the title as well, Liz. Okay. You can't well, say the title every time.
2: Why don't you just tell them what the show is about?
1: Great. I'll take that too. So, uh, this is called Was I in a Cult? And this is the show I said about- that
2: already. And you didn't say it with the right inflection. It's Was I in a Cult?
1: Was I in a Cult? Was
2: I in a Cult?
1: Yes, you were. Yes,
2: so were you. No cult shaming here.
1: Okay, good. So, this is a show, a podcast about brave individuals who clawed their way out of various cults and rebuilt their lives. That was really good. (laughs) Thanks, Liz. Today we feature a woman by the name of Joanne. She tells her story about being in a small Utah-based cult. It is quite a tale. It's also one that Joanne can look back at with some levity.
2: In fact, she co-wrote a hysterical book about her time in the cult entitled It's Not About the Sex, My Ass.
1: So she definitely understands that comedy can heal tragedy.
2: And since she had a lot of fun with her story, so do we.
1: But understand, dear listener... That not every one of our future episodes will feature such jocularity.
2: Because, of course, we do understand that being in and leaving a cult is a very serious and dramatic issue. And
1: we treat every guest and their story with respect.
2: But also, what's wrong with having a wee bit of fun?
1: So, where should we start?
2: Where should we start? Let's take it back. Let's take it way back.
1: Tell us your
3: tale, Joanne. I was born to some great parents. They raised us in the LDS Church, which is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We called ourselves Mormons growing up. Uh, aren't they all Mormons?
1: Okay, so officially, as of a couple years ago, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints no longer wishes to be referred to as Mormon. They prefer the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.
2: Well, that's a bit
3: of a mouthful, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, I think for today, we're just gonna stick with Mormon. Okay.
3: My father was in the Air Force. When I was six, we moved to Florida. A few years later, we moved to Northern Maine. A few years after we left Maine and moved to Orem, Utah, and that was a big shock. All of a sudden, I was just one of many Mormons. All the kids at school were Mormons. We had assemblies in high school where they'd start with a prayer. We'd go to church for three hours on Sunday, every single Sunday.
1: So, for all of you who have not seen the Book of Mormon musical or Murder Among the Mormons, here's a quick rundown on Mormonism.
2: (laughs) Is that Mormon music?
1: (laughs) It's close. It's very close, Liz. Yeah.
2: Insert Mormon music here.
1: In the early 1800s, in upstate New York, a 14-year-old boy named Joseph Smith went into the woods to pray, hoping to figure out which church to join. He was then visited by God and Jesus. And what did God and Jesus have to say? What they told him is to not join any church, Liz. Mm,
2: That messaging feels a bit off-brand for that duo.
1: (laughs) (laughs) True. So, a few years later, an angel then appeared to Joseph Smith. So, this angel... Then led him to some gold plates. Real
2: gold plates,
1: Tyler? Yes, Liz, real gold plates buried in the ground. And these plates contained ancient writings that Joseph Smith translated into a book of scripture known as... The
2: Book of Mormon. The
1: Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon. So he then started his own church (laughs) and he named it the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. And then he declared himself the prophet and president of said church.
2: How convenient.
1: Mm-hmm. Which then means that he receives direct revelation from God himself. As all self-proclaimed prophets do.
2: You, uh, you sure do know a lot about Mormonism, Tyler.
1: Well, is that's because I was raised as a Mormon. I used to be one. But this story is not about me. Let's go back to Joanne.
2: Right.
3: So... She was now in Utah. Graduated from Orm High School and
1: went to BYU. BYU, Brigham Young University, a Mormon owned school in Provo, Utah, which is about 98% Mormon. I
2: want to talk to the one Jewish kid
1: who's at this school <laughs> who's just like, I'm just here for the strong
3: forestry department. I enjoyed school, majored in interior design, but I never imagined myself graduating. I thought I'd just find a husband settle down and use interior design in my own home to make my home a pretty place for my kids and my husband. I kept going to BYU, getting good grades. I was so shy and awkward. I graduated from BYU without being kissed, without any kind of serious relationship. And that was just embarrassing. Sexual repression at its finest.
1: If anyone would know.
3: If anyone would know, it would not be me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Sorry.
3: I had some roommates that got married, great guys that they met on campus, and it just never happened
1: for me. To Mormons, marriage is essential if you want to make it back into God's presence in heaven, a place Mormons refer to as the celestial kingdom.
3: After I graduated from BYU, I moved into an apartment so that I could meet guys. I dated this guy for a while, and that got me used to men. He had a house with a hot tub. Good on you, Joanne. I, too, only date men with hot tubs. Sometimes I'd stay at his place till, like, 2 or 3 in the morning. Never dared stay overnight, because that was just
1: too risky, too close to sinning. Surprise! Premarital sex is a no-no in the Mormon church, but so is drinking, smoking, watching R-rated movies, and coffee or tea.
2: What about oral sex? Or anal sex? There's got to be some workarounds here. (laughs) You
1: know, he's looking for the loophole, aren't you, Liz?
3: I'm just, you know, curious. I wanted to get married,
1: but he didn't. So she broke it off. But... She was still seeking that delightful Mormon husband. So she joined a Mormon dating service.
3: Wait, what year are we in now?
1: This is the year of our Lord, 1990. It
3: was called Latter-day Ideals, the Mormon dating service. And I was able to go into the office and read some profiles of men that I liked. One of them had moved to California. One of them wasn't dating at the time. And then one that I really liked, he was tall... He had been married before and had a couple of twin boys, which I thought was just so fantastic.
1: This was a gentleman by the name of Jeff.
2: But did Jeff have a hot tub, Tyler? No. First
3: red flag, Joanne. So he called me right away to, you know, set up a date. We decided to meet at one of my church softball games. I saw him drive into the parking lot. Oh, he's cute. I went up and started talking to him for a bit and then it was my turn to bat again. So I got up there and and I hit a home run. And I was so happy to impress him. (laughs)
2: I have a feeling that wasn't the type of home run she really wanted to hit.
1: Oh, no. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm (laughs)
2: sorry. That one was
3: just sitting there waiting for me to. We saw each other every single day from then on. He'd come to my apartment. We'd make out. And I think it was about 10 days after we first met, we were cuddling on the bed. And he said, I love you. I want to marry you. My immediate thought was, if I don't say yes, I'll scare him off and I'll lose my chance. So even though I was not sure at all, I said, yes, I would love that. So we started talking about wedding plans, and we planned it for a few months ahead. We'd met in June, and we got married the end of August. We had a great wedding in the Salt Lake Temple, and then we went on our honeymoon to... Disney World in Florida. After the wedding, we moved into his condo, and within a month, I was pregnant. My son was born in the end of July, just a month before our first anniversary. And after about a year, I talked to Jeff about becoming a massage therapist. I said, maybe I should get a job, you know, have a career besides just being a mom to this little kid. He said, well, why don't we just have some more children? So I got pregnant again. As I was growing up, I was taught to obey my parents. So when I got married, I was taught to obey my husband. And I was taught to obey the church leaders, all the men.
2: So Tyler, you're telling me there's misogyny present in the confines of a religion?
1: Shocking, Liz, but true. Jeff started to practice,
3: working as a chiropractor, and it was doing really, really well, making good money. We purchased a home, and it was a great house. I then had my third child, a girl, and that was great. We had three kids, and we were just happy.
2: What a sweet story. I love a good happy ending. Thank you all for joining us on Was I in a call, Liz,
1: no. Well, that's actually not the ending, Liz. It's actually kind of just the beginning.
2: Shit. I was afraid you were going to say that. Before we go back to Joanne, Tyler, let's tell them a little bit about us.
1: What? You think we need some clout or gravitas to prove our audio worthiness? I mean, don't we live in a world where all you need is a microphone and then you're an automatic podcast host? (laughs) True.
2: Well, they should know that you're a world-renowned documentary filmmaker. Oh, I
1: mean, that's very nice. I don't know about, you know, world. Well,
2: you're at least American-renowned. And you also happen to escape some religious cultic upbringing.
1: Mm-hmm. And they should know that you are a writer and comedian who took an acting class when you first moved to L.A., which turned into a self-help cult. Which was
2: effing crazy.
1: Yeah, and we will get to that. But
2: let's get back to Joanne, as we are not narcissistic cult leaders. Mm, yeah, We don't need everything to be about us.
1: Right. So now it's 1992, and until this point, Joanne is happily married, living in Mormon, Utah. All is well.
3: For now. Where we lived, there were people talking about the second coming. And to Mormons, this was, you know, the big deal, the second coming of Jesus. They just loved that subject. Because they were preparing for what? The millennium. When Mormons are the only ones (laughs) that live on the earth and everybody is happy. Everybody thinks the same.
1: But then one day, Jeff goes to a chiropractic meeting, a convention, and he comes back with a set of seven videotapes all about the second coming.
3: He parked in front of the TV and watched these tapes
1: and was just enthralled with them. The tapes featured nothing more than a quiet Mormon scholar sitting all by himself, talking to the camera.
3: He'd show some scriptural references, and he predicted that the Second Coming was going to be at a certain time, like within a year or two. And
1: we believed it, every single part of it. Now remember, Mormons have the Bible and the Book of Mormon, But they also have revelation from past prophets, and it is not uncommon for some members to receive their own ideas and revelations, some of which might not exactly fit what the mainstream Mormon church teaches. There's so much convenience factor in the Mormon religion. It's a very DIY religion. (laughs) DIY, exactly. Don't wait for our revelation. Get your own! We
3: start reading a lot of books Well, actually, Jeff starts reading a lot of books because I'm busy with three little kids. And he starts sharing all this information with me. And we had an extra room downstairs and we filled it with canned goods and all these things to survive the last days because society was going to collapse and you were going to have to have this food to survive.
1: And then one day they stumbled upon an article in a newspaper
3: about... A man in Manti that was teaching last day's prophecies. He had been a, a real estate broker, and he got all religious and moved to Manti because that was going to be the place that things were going to happen in the future.
1: Joanna's is referring to Manti, a quiet but charming little community located in central Utah. So Jeff looked him up in the phone book
3: and gave him a call. And it was Jim Harmston
1: and apparently every weekend at his little house in manti jim would teach spiritual classes he called these models we got
3: invited down to his weekend of teachings we took the children to my mom's house i don't remember the excuse we gave them but we <laughs> we went down to manti and listened to jim for two days so jim was fairly short quite chunky had a nice beard and was very kind. We'd sit there and he had a whiteboard and he would draw diagrams and he used references from Mormon doctrine and he talked a lot about the second coming. He talked about the safe place, which was Manti, and a thing he called the Shekinah, which we pictured as kind of a a dome over Manti and the surrounding area to keep out the wars and the refugees. And it was so exciting. So
2: he was preaching his own interpretations then?
1: Basically. I mean, it should be noted that uh, Jim had taken a hard left away from the accepted mainstream Mormonism.
2: So Shekinah and Manti being this rapture safe zone were not taught in traditional Mormon Sunday school?
1: Not the Sunday school I went to, Liz. Right.
2: Shakina, am I saying that right?
1: (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what a Shakina (laughs) is.
3: Every once in a while, you'd get so emotional about these things that you'd get that tingly feeling. And he actually taught us that that tingly feeling we were getting was a witness from um, people who work for the Holy Ghost. Kind of like Santa's helpers. I can't remember the word, but nobody else is going to know it anyway. He would see people kind of tear up or look excited, and he would say, you're getting a witness. That means your angel across the veil would put their hand on your back and give you that tingly feeling, give you that burning in the bosom that made you know that what was just said was true. I call that feeling something else, Tyler.
1: And what is it you call Liz?
2: I call it a shaking, <laughs> shaking in my bones. <laughs> a reverberation of love.
1: You should probably just stick with Witness. It's a lot easier, am <laughs> shorter. Okay. Jeff was determined to
3: move down to Manti. And this was going to be our getaway for when, you know, the world collapsed.
1: But there was one more issue that was discussed.
3: Oh, Jim also talked about polygamy in the meetings. To have the kingdom of earth on ready for Christ to come back, you'd have to live the higher law of celestial plural marriage. Jeff thought polygamy was just fine because his great-great-grandfather was a famous pioneer that had several wives. So Tyler, what's up with Mormons and multiple wives?
1: Mm. Just
3: give it to me straight.
1: Glad you asked, Liz. Let's go back to
2: 1833.
1: (laughs) That's still not Mormon music, Liz. Work on it. So Joseph Smith is the president and prophet of the flourishing Mormon church. And as prophet, he can... Let me guess. Receive revelations from God. Yes. And one of those revelations that Joseph received was called the Law of Celestial Marriage
2: also known as Multiple Wives Syndrome, MWS.
1: Yes, also known as polygamy.
2: (laughs) Right. And let me guess, Joseph got the message and was like, Oh, yes, God, I hear you loud and clear. You want me to have sex with 30 women, I will do it in your name.
1: Pretty much. (laughs) And although Joseph was already married, he jumped right into that spiritual messaging and married his 16-year-old housekeeper in the barn behind his house.
2: Because no one said he had to be classy to be a polygamist.
1: Joseph went on to marry 35 more times.
2: 35 times? Jesus Christ. How did he remember them all? What do you have to do, color code them? Like, call them by their number? Like, hey, wife 13, my
1: eggs are cold. You know, one does have to respect the man's commitment to God's vision.
2: And women got to marry multiple men, too, of course, right?
1: No, list. Of course, they didn't.
2: Oh, right. I forgot. Women aren't worthy of God's prophecies. Mm-hmm. That makes sense.
1: However, the church did eventually disavow polygamy in 1890.
2: Too many cat fights. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, worry not, Liz. It's still doctrine that men will practice polygamy in the next life in heaven. Well, F and Lola. <laughs> so you got that to look forward to.
2: Tyler, you know a lot about polygamy. Is there a. How many bedrooms do you have? And I have enough. Is there something you're not telling us?
1: Just enough, Liz. The truth be told is my great-great-great-grandfather was a polygamist. So polygamy is in my jeans or my Dockers, depending upon what I'm wearing that day. <laughs> so bad. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let's go back to Joanne and
1: Jeff, please. Yes, please.
3: I wanted to be on the front row when Jesus came back. You know, I wanted to be special. I was willing to move to Manti, become a polygamist, and get ready for Christ to return.
1: So Jeff and Joanne sold their house, they packed up, and moved to Manti.
3: The land of polygamous dreams. My parents came down with us and helped us move all our boxes and furniture in. And my dad was setting up the crib in the upstairs bedroom. My dad finally got up the courage to say, so... Are you moving here because of that group, that Jim Harmston group? And I said, yes. We believe that this is the safe place for the calamities that are going to come. And we also believe that we're going to need to live polygamy. My mom threw up her arms, turned around and said, oh, Alan, oh, and just ran down the hall and down the stairs out into the backyard And my dad turned to me and said, you've broken your mother's heart. At the time, I had to think, well, if her heart is broken over the truth, then she's just going to have to get over it. So the house we bought in Manti was really beautiful, old two-story Victorian with a huge fenced yard and We had a big garden. Jim lived a few blocks away. Everybody else lived, you know, fairly nearby. And we would meet every Sunday. And we'd also get together in the evenings at people's homes and have meetings. The men would get together and have meetings. The women would get together at somebody's home and have a meeting. And a lot of the meetings were potluck dinners. So a lot of socializing. Those must have been some dinner parties like,
2: hey, Sally, has your Harry found a second wife yet? (laughs) Not yet, but we keep praying. Oh, don't worry. (laughs) She'll show up right when you least expect it. That's how love works. You should try the guac. It's delicious.
1: You nailed it, Liz. That is (laughs) Manti-Mormon housewife (laughs) voice number 12.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So at first, there were probably about a dozen families And as Jim had his models, maybe once a month, some couple would decide they believed it and they'd move to Manti. So it continued to grow. It was within the first year we were there that the men discussed the idea of forming a church. And when they formed the church, they named it the True and Living Church of Jesus Christ of Saints of the Last Days. We called it TLC for short. So Jim was the leader, the president. Jim's revelation was that Jeff should be the president of the Quorum of Twelve Apostles.
1: That was pretty exciting. But the tenets of this new-founded faith didn't stray too far from the classics. The pattern of our church
3: was just like the LDS church. In fact, we joked about it being kind of like Mormonism on steroids, but more of um, extreme. So, our church was extreme Mormonism. And of course, we went back to Joseph Smith's teachings and tried to start from there.
1: And one of those teachings was that if you become Mormon and you keep all of the commandments
2: don't drink lattes, no sex in hot
1: tubs, only date men with hot tubs. When you die, you can become a God and you get your own planet.
2: What in the hell am I going to do with a planet? I can really keep three plants
3: alive.
1: Well, you're a woman, Liz. Women don't get planets. So we
3: believed that as a man became a god, he would be able to populate a new planet. He would have one of his wives and procreate and have spirit children. And these spirit children would take bodies and populate this particular earth.
2: Wait, 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 wait. So, men get an entire planet, and women get to be in a marriage with a bunch of other wives and give birth to a collection of spirit babies? Yep. Yeah, that lines up.
1: Well, look at it this way, Liz. At least you don't have to change spirit diapers. I'd make one of my sister wives do it. Wife 13. Wife number 13. Yeah,
2: the one one who sucks at making (laughs) eggs.
1: Okay, so we've established that polygamy is a big part of Mormonism, both in this life and the next. But for the Manti group, they weren't really practicing it.
2: Yet.
3: As we'd get in our meetings, we'd talk about polygamy. Jim would preach it in church. There was a man who somehow met a a young girl. She liked him and he liked her, and they ended up being the first couple to live polygamy in our Manti group. That was a big deal. And then Jim decided that it was his turn, and he found a, a single woman that lived in a nearby town,
1: and started courting her. And shortly thereafter, married her, becoming the second polygamist couple in town. Soon, Jeff started to feel the pressure to take on a second wife, but Joanne wanted to make sure that celestial marriage was right for them. So, like every other decision they made, they needed to pray about it. We had built a little altar. We had it in our bedroom.
3: It was just a little wooden box. We padded the top so we could put our arms on that, and the two sides folded down and they were padded so that you could kneel there and hold hands across the altar. We'd pray and we'd ask questions and wait and say, you know, what did you get? And <laughs> well, I got this, and we'd share our ideas. We felt that we needed to find Jeff a wife so we could start proving that we were worthy by living the celestial marriage.
1: See, but the problem with the Manti group is that there weren't a lot of single adult women. I
2: don't want to hear what comes next. <laughs> Here
1: it comes.
3: Oh, dear God. There was a family in the group that had a teenage daughter. Jeff was attracted to her. She might have been 17. So we prayed about her and we felt good about it, you know, got that witness that we should have her in our family and build his kingdom. Jeff went and talked to her father, and he seemed kind of disgusted at the idea that his daughter would marry an older man and become a polygamist, and and he was part of the group. We didn't quite understand why our revelation was wrong.
1: So they kept looking, and eventually they met. A certain family from
3: New Mexico planned on moving to Manti.
1: And they had three teenage daughters.
3: They were all just beautiful girls. Jeff was really motivated. Let me guess. Jeff got the witness. We visited with them for a while, and then as we were driving home, we discussed, you know, well, the older daughter, Judith. She was 17 at the time. Is the only one old enough at this point to get married? Jeff says, well, I think I should do it.
1: And unlike the previous man... Judith's father was amenable to the idea.
3: He was a big fan of Brigham Young. He taught his daughters these ideas, and when they found Jim, everything just fit.
1: Little backstory, Brigham Young was the second prophet of the Mormon church, and he had 55 wives, many of whom were teenagers.
2: Brigham Young as in Brigham Young University? (laughs)
1: Yes. Yeah. And oddly enough, at Brigham Young University, there is a moral code that says you can't drink alcohol or smoke or wear shorts or drink coffee or tea or engage in premarital sex or have a beard.
2: But you can be a pedophile. 55 times if you wanted to.
1: So long as you don't drink a latte. Anyway, let's go back to Joanne.
3: They moved to town. He proposed to Judith, bought her a ring. They set the date.
1: And Joanne planned a big wedding reception.
3: I love to entertain. They used to call me the Martha Stewart of Manti. (laughs) I was kind of scared of my feelings because I was just worried that at some point I was going to get really jealous or feel very rejected. So I just went on planning the reception, planning where Judith would live. She was going to have what had been the guest room. So I had that all fixed up.
2: And here is the room where my husband will make sweet, sweet love to a teenager whenever he wants. Let me just make sure the divay matches the curtains.
3: So the day of the wedding arrives, one of the families in the group, they had a barn, and there was a stairway that went up to the upstairs above the animals. They had fixed it up, carpeted it, put curtains on the windows. And we called it the endowment house. This is where we had our wedding ceremony. We'd go into the barn, past the chickens and the cows, and climb these rickety wooden stairs and sit around in those big plastic stackable chairs that you <laughs> get at the home supply store. But they were white, and it was all very holy. And <laughs> Anyway, one of the men had built one of these altars with the padded tops. I knew how to paint wood to make it look like marble. I painted it white, and then I put some gray, gold, blue marbling veins in the wood. So this was our marble altar. Everybody thought it was just fantastic, especially me. For the ceremony, there were a couple of dozen people. We all stood around in our temple robes, just like the LDS church.
1: Temple robes are a full body white jumpsuit or a dress with a sash, a white cap or a veil and a green apron. This clothing is sacred to Mormons.
2: What's the green apron for?
1: That's so so you don't get eggs on your white sash.
2: You better tell that to wife 13. She is She's just so clumsy.
1: She's about to come wife 14. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Jeff and Judith kneeled across the altar from each other and held hands, and I kneeled next to Judith and put my hand on top of theirs. Jim presided. He went through the marriage ceremony. I can't remember how it went. I guess like a normal marriage ceremony, except that I happened to be there, and and I think they asked me if I approved. And so we all said yes, and that was about it. After the wedding, we had a great big party, big wedding cake. Lots of people were there. We just visited and had fun for hours. That was one of the few good memories I have. Jeff and Judith went off on their honeymoon early evening. Everybody left. I cleaned up after the big reception.
1: And you know what happens on honeymoons? Overpriced buffets, perhaps. Anyways, thank you so much for joining us on Was I in a Wait, cold wait, wait,
2: Tyler? That's really the end
1: of this episode. Yes, of Joanne's story. No. And you, listener, have
2: to wait one whole
1: minute to hear part two.
2: Because we're not jerks. We're not going to make you wait an entire week.
1: Not this time, anyways. But you do want to stick around and listen to the next episode because her story gets rather crazy. You're not going to want to miss the second coming, you guys. Or the first coming of the gratuitous sex oh, scene that wow, we added. Let's not oversell this, Tyler. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> anyways, thank you for listening to episode one of Was I in a Cult? Nobody's listening to you. They've moved on to episode two, haven't they? Well,
2: you can tell them anything you want right now. Great. What you had for dinner last night.
1: I had a lovely salmon. It was nice. (laughs) Cider rice. What's on your bucket list. I would like to piss on the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) Not the real one, the one in Vegas.
2: (laughs) What your son is up to these days.
1: Definitely no one's listening now.
2: No, they don't care.
1: You're not even listening to me. (laughs) You don't even know what I'm (laughs) saying. Not even.
2: I don't even know who you
1: are. Fine, I'll take it home. Thanks for listening to episode one of Was I in a Cult?
2: I only gave you that line because no one's listening. (laughs)